Some time ago we began looking at um, what I call, I named, uh, this is my body. We began looking at aspects of the church. We, be, we The first section was defining God's church. We went through the Bible and we looked at what the Bible had to say in describing God's people, His church. Uh, the second part of that was looking at organizing an organization, or as the prophet refers to often as gospel order. We looked at, well, what is gospel order? Now we've gotten into, well, we as, you, as a people of God, and you get organized according to the way God would have us to be organized, for God is a God of order, isn't He? So we begin to look at what is the purpose of the church. And uh, I, I relate it to an army. If you recall uh, last month when I was up here, I, I shared with you uh, what my aspects are as a soldier for Christ. you remember that? And I shared with you uh, my experiences and uh, my beliefs and then as an encouragement, you know, that you would make a choice to be a soldier for Christ as well. And now I'm going to be talking about, well, in, the, in, in last week we talked about uh, training in the school of Christ is different than training in schools of the world. And so, and that's an education that will never end for us, which is amazing just to contemplate that. And I thank God for that. You imagine getting to heaven and one day becoming bored? It's, it's just, it's like, it reminds me of when my, my boys would ask, where did God come from? There's no way we can really answer that as finite human beings. Um, and to think that we will never reach a point where we quit learning, that's something else that, at least myself, I find hard to wrap my mind around, <laughs> you know. Because, you know, Steve's out of school. He wants to get a job and be teaching and sharing that knowledge he learned while he's in school. We're never going to be out of the school of Christ. And uh, I praise God for that because that means there's always something for us to learn, something to expand into, see, and we can always be growing. And I like that. So uh, continuing with, with this thought of, of training, I've entitled today's study weapons training and uh, along that theme of being in the Lord's army. You know, my grandfather could do almost everything himself. Uh, I remember growing up and I was just in awe of uh, my paternal grandfather. And of course my mom's uh, father, he just about could do everything too. So, um, But my dad's father, he could do about anything when it came to building, maintenance, and repair. You know, uh, Grandpa would work on large items, I mean, large things you think of, like a, a house, maybe a car, but he would also work on smaller, more intricate things, such as pocket watches and clocks. He had a room in his house that was forbidden to me and my brother, and that was his clock room. But one time he let us go in there, he took us in to show us, and he had, uh, it was a workshop, and, and just intricate little watches he had torn apart and gears here and springs and all these things you know he had and he would work on these things and I I was always in awe of that and when he passed away I remember um, uh, my dad inherited grandpa's car it was a 66 Plymouth Belvedere and the trunk of that car uh, was loaded down with a huge assortment of hand tools I mean the car rode like this you know, the front end up and because he had so many tools in the trunk. And uh, I couldn't tell you the, the total value of these tools, but it had to be a few thousand dollars that he had in there, and they were all different kinds of hand tools. But the, the thing that, that uh, I remember, and I remember Dad bringing it home, and he opened the trunk up, and, and uh, what grabbed my attention looking at all those tools was the number of hammers and screwdrivers that Grandpa had in there. It was staggering. Who, in, who could ever use that, that number of hammers and screwdrivers? And I remember asking my dad if he really ever saw Grandpa use any of the tools in that trunk other than a hammer and a screwdriver. Because I tried to recall. That's all I remember Grandpa 
using virtually to do anything was a hammer or a screwdriver. It's like he always had one on him, personally, wherever, you know. He'd go out, uh, grand, I remember Grandpa, he'd go out and he'd walk along the highways, he'd pick up aluminum cans, but he always carried a hammer. And I remember one time, the hammer was missing the claws. It was an old claw hammer, you know. Claws were off of it. And I remember asking him, why do you take that hammer with you when you go out and do that? And he said, for protection. <laughs> I never even thought of that. You know, I thought, well, you, you know, he, he's using it for some kind of odd thing here or there. For protection, he said. So, you know. Um, but I, I remember that uh, the number of hammers and screwdrivers was just incredible. And um, I remember Grandpa, he, whenever he worked, it was amazing to watch him do these things with just a hammer and a screwdriver. He really had a talent. And he passed it on to my dad, of course. My dad said to me one time that a hammer was the best tool ever invented. And he said that you can do anything with a hammer. I just found those are odd statements, you know, because I, I learned a lot of things from him. And, and when I tell you that, I still chuckle about that, uh, though I learned not to doubt my dad uh, very often. Um, when I was called into ministry, I was called from the building maintenance and repair trade, go figure, you know, my grandpa, my dad, you know. And I guess you could say that it's in my blood, um, one thing I learned very early on as a carpenter and maintenance man was that there is a right tool for the right job. And it doesn't matter what that job is. Our brother Rollin back there, he's the media director, and he's got tools on that table back there. They're, they're not tools to build anything or to repair anything, but they are tools to produce something, see? There's a right tool for the the right job. Now, I don't remember learning that from my dad because he literally believed that you could do anything with just a hammer, and he often did. <laughs> now, don't misunderstand me. My grandpa and dad both knew that there was the right tool for the right job. Um, it's just that time didn't have as much value to them as it does to me. They were raised in different generations. And boy, I could tell you some stories about that, but we don't have time. Uh, today, see, we don't have time. <laughs> but I learned that having and using the right tool for the right job helps your work to be more efficient, helps it to be more effective, enduring, and profitable. If you're in business, you're trying to cut down labor costs. You know, I've been uh, seeing in the paper, well, actually not the paper, but in the news, uh, more and more about people who work at these fast food restaurants, they want the minimum wage raised. And, uh, you know, these corporations are going to make their money. And so if you, if they're, by law, have to pay somebody more, that's going to cut into their margin. And they're not going to do that. They'll replace these people with machines. You don't have to pay a machine. You have to buy one or develop it or whatever, but, you know, to keep it running or whatever. And so, you know. That, that's the whole thing uh, uh, about the right tool for the right job. They want to be profitable. And if you're in business, you want to be profitable. That's why you're in business. You've got to earn a living, right? So you want to have the right tool. Throughout history, every successful, getting back to kind of our theme here, um, every successful army has had a corps of engineers and workers that helped them to victory. Did you know that? Steve knows that. He was in the military. You don't just have soldiers, do you, Steve? You won't go very far with just soldiers. You've got to have some engineers. And you've got to have some workers, even civilian workers. You know the military uses a lot of civilian workers. <laughs> my uncle, my dad's brother, he graduated from Purdue University. He had a degree in physics. He worked for Crane naval uh, base in Indiana, top secret work. Basically, when he said, if I told you what I'd do, I'd have to kill you, he meant it. <laughs> and so we, we never knew what he did. He was a civilian worker, though, see. 
from, and if you go back in history, like I'm saying, from the Romans who built roads and bridges all over Europe as they conquered, to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers who designed and constructed the, the docks, the roads, the bridges during the invasion of Normandy, just for an example, uh, that led to victory in Europe. Every successful army has had engineers and workers. And none of these victories could be successful without designing and then building what was needed for that success by using the right tools for the job at hand. In fact, there were a lot of new tools that were designed during warfare. They're always experimenting. It's because they want to have victory. And the same can be said concerning our work as Christians and spreading the present truth of the three angels' messages. And despite what some may believe, or what my father and grandfather believe, we cannot reach the whole world with just a hammer. Can't do it. We must have the right tools to do the job that we have been asked to do. And the great thing about that, though, is, friend, is that God provides the tools we need uh, for our work to be efficient, effective, enduring, and profitable. And when I say profitable, I'm speaking spiritually about saving souls. That's the profit in our work. Amen? God provides the weapons and the training for His people in this conflict between good and evil to have victory over our enemy. And as noted in our previous studies, there are two types of training uh, for the Christian. And I mentioned this last time we were together. First, you have a basic training, and that's what we talked about last time, wasn't it? Or what I call the boot camp of Christ. And second, we have advanced training, which I'm referring to here today as weapons training. The greatest thing we receive in basic training is actually a gift from God. Isn't it remarkable when you look at it? Everything we get is a gift from God, isn't it? And this is no different. Peter says in Acts 2 and verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of what? The Holy Ghost. So, the Holy Spirit being given to to people is a gift from God as well. And with the Holy Spirit, we not only receive basic instruction, but as we grow with knowledge and with experience, uh, we receive advanced training as well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and beginning with verse 4, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. We're given grace. Now, I ask people, what is grace? And, and it doesn't matter what professing Christian I ask, they always say, it's God's unmerited favor. Have you ever gotten that response? God's a, and, and, but I'll ask them, what is that? It's unmerited. It means you don't earn it, but what is it? What is it exactly that He's giving you? Well, I did a, a study one time on that word grace throughout the Bible, and I encourage you to do that. And basically, it is God's character traits that God is giving to you because He wants you to be like Him. He created us to be like Him, see? And so, Paul here, he says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye, become, so that ye come behind in what? He says, no gift. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless. Isn't that remarkable? We can be blameless. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here, he's saying, God gives us everything. He gives us grace. He gives us uh, a testimony. In other words, he's saying, when, when Jesus 
works in you, your testimony is essentially His testimony. Remember when we studied early on uh, definition of the church? And, and, and we found that there are only two churches in the world. There's the Church of Christ and there's the Church of Antichrist. And that's it. Now people say, well, what about denomination stuff? Well, we discovered, well, that's different organizations. And God has, His, His people are to be organized. That's why an organization you know, can be seen as falling. It's the organization. And God's people who may be a remnant in there are to come out of it because that organization has fallen. But God has, has two, there's two sides. And we've noticed this as we've studied this about the church. And Paul is saying here that, that God gives us all these gifts and He's a God of order and He'll even give us a testimony. And that's what our experience is. And so we should be, as Christians, getting closer and closer and more and more like the vine, shouldn't we? We're the branches, Jesus is the vine. So that when people see us, who are they really seeing? Jesus. When people hear us, they're hearing Jesus. That's the testimony. That's the one thing that that the devil can't take away from us, by the way, is the word of our testimony. And we will, as we we continue in this school of Christ, we'll get to a point where uh, we will be blameless. Peter says... Peter says, all who are converted receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that with Christ in our hearts, we each, and that's every converted Christian, receives grace and the spiritual gifts. This is what his main point was. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Or as we're referring to it right now as weapons to help us in accomplishing the work of aiding Him to win this war. Because we're in a war. We're in a spiritual war. And it has physical aspects. You know, it's not a fantasy world because we do have physical aspects of this spiritual war. Okay. Now I want you to notice what Jesus says in John 16. In John 16, beginning with verse 13. He says, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come. Now, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, talking about the things we receive from God, our gifts, I want you to notice in these next few verses how many times Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit and says what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Okay? How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Holy Spirit's going to be doing a whole lot, isn't he? Verse 14. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Now, if you go through those verses and you highlight every time he said, he will, he shall, it comes up quite, quite often, doesn't it? So the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift, but the Holy Spirit's going to give us things. Okay? And we're going to behave as the Holy Spirit, and this is the goal for each one of us, we're going to behave as the Holy Spirit directs us. So he's going, to, he's going to guide us into the truth. He's not going to speak of himself, but what he hears from Christ, what Christ says he's going to speak, that's what we're going to do, isn't it? What we hear from Christ, we're going to speak. Isn't that true? He's going to show us things to come. Are we going to share things of prophecy with others? That's one of the, the gifts of the Spirit we'll see in just a few moments. So here we get the gift of the Holy Spirit and everything that comes with the Spirit. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We don't have to worry uh, 
about the gift that we receive from the Father in heaven. We can count on it. It's James chapter 1 and verse 17. And so what I'm hoping that, that uh, uh, you'll see is that with the Holy Spirit we receive actually the fruit of Christ's character. And we also receive the spiritual weapons of Christ to use in saving those that are lost. And we also have talents. And the talents that we have have, have their source in God as well. And the good news is that by using the, these spiritual weapons and using these talents God has given, we'll be found blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the goal. That's what He wants for each one of us. Now, what is the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts? And, and th- the reason I ask is this, is, this is something that we need to be clear about for some some people I've talked to, they have, uh, they're confused about the two. And they think that the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are one and the same. And they're not. Let's, let's look at them here. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit here. Galatians 5, begin with verse 22. And we'll kind of define it a little bit here as well, break it down. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, you know, I run into a number of Christians and we talk about love. They, they're confused about that, that type of love. They think it's, it's a, more of a brotherly love or a love between a man and a wife or, that, you know, or I love pizza or I love, you know. But what is the Greek word there that's used? It's agape. That's a... a and sometimes it's it's translated in English as charity. But that doesn't give it its full weight either. It's a self-sacrificing love. A, an esteeming others better than yourself type of love. And so that's the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Or, you know, a calm delight. Uh, peace. One of the, the greatest things that, that I praise God for is to have peace of mind. Because when you learn, as you walk with the Lord, you, can learn, you learn to trust Him. You learn to trust His Word. And when He says that He'll take care of you, He will take care of you. You can take it to the bank. You can trust Him, always. You know, I, I always kind of had this doubt when I first became a Christian I had this doubt that kind of hung around with me a while and and until I came to the understanding that God always 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 I can't say always enough always has our best interest at heart until I realized that and, and it sunk in I will always have this little bit of doubt I have no doubts whatsoever anymore I came understand that so I can trust God with my life because I know he has my best interest at heart and I have a peace see God has given me that peace it it's uh, uh, if you look at the uh, the Greek for that word peace it means a prosperity a quietness uh, rest uh, the main reason is set at one again in other words, if you if you have an argument with somebody and you just don't feel right until you can get together and you work it out, and then there's a peace. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Well, that's patience or perseverance or steadfastness. Uh, gentleness. That's someone who's calm. You know, kind. They're gentle. Was Jesus gentle? Jesus is very gentle. He goes on, he says, goodness, faith, meekness. It means somebody's humble. Temperance, that means it's self-control. They have control of their passions. And then Paul goes on, he says, against such, this fruit of the Spirit, he says, against such there is no law. What does he mean by that? If you have that fruit of the Spirit... 
you're not going to be under the law because by the Spirit you keep the law. How can you have peace if you're guilty of sin? The Holy Spirit's going to be pricking your heart, isn't He? You're not going to have peace. If you don't sin, you're going to have peace, see? That's why Paul says there's no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so... This is what Paul's saying. If you if you accept the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, you must walk in the Spirit. And only by having the Holy Spirit can you crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts. See? Now, this is the fruit that is imparted when you've accepted Christ and He's removed your sins. You've repented of your sins. He has removed the guilt from your heart, you see. He gives you a new heart. That's what that means. And He places His laws in your new heart. You'll have different desires. Now you'll have a battle with the old self. But the good news that Christ proved was you can conquer that old self. And by abiding in Jesus, you're able to keep His law. Because you obey, there's no further condemnation because you eventually reach the point where you'll no longer choose to sin against Him. And that's the whole goal. That's what Paul was saying about unto the perfect man, unto the fullness of the stature of Christ. So, you experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ-likeness. See? So in this chapter, Paul compares the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh so that we may understand that the fruit of the Spirit is not, the, it's not a natural product of human nature. You see, it, it has to come from a power wholly outside of humanity. It has to come from God. And I also would like to mention that the word fruit is in the singular. Did you catch that? It's in the singular. There is but one fruit of the Spirit, and that one fruit includes all these Christian graces, let's call them, uh, that we just read. In other words, all of these graces are to be present in, in the life of a Christian. And this fruit of the Spirit is the result of conversion, uh, the conversion experience of the believer in Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit also gives to each Christian at least one spiritual gift or as I say in this series weapon what are these weapons of the Holy Spirit let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 1 Corinthians chapter 12 begin with verse 1 now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would not have you ignorant so he's going to share with us He's going to enlighten us. He's going to increase our knowledge, isn't He? So that we can impart it to others. Look at verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who hands out these gifts. And there are differences of administrations. That means ministries. There's different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations. That. What he means by that is there's different kinds of work within the church. There's different kinds of work within the church. That's what he means by there's different kinds of operations. But it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. What's he mean by that? Well, Paul is... Paul's saying that the manifestation of the Spirit is given not only to profit the individual or improve the individual to God's glory, uh, but that these improvements will be seen by others, showing that they have the Holy Spirit working in their life, and thus, for the church. It's going to be seen in your life. Then he begins to describe the different manifestations that may be seen in the life of each member of the church. If you go to verse 8, he says, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, 
Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. That's what wisdom is. It's the right use of that knowledge that you have. To another, the word of knowledge. That means to know. <laughs> so, to another person, they're going to gain knowledge by that same spirit, he says. To another, faith. That's trust, incredible trust in God. Faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. Now, that's interesting. This is the, the power, when he talks about prophecy, he's talking about the power to speak authoritatively for God. And, and, you know, on God's behalf, let's say, either by foretelling future events or by declaring God's will for the present. He speaks on behalf of God. That's what is meant there by that, that term prophecy. He says, to another discerning of spirits. And this is the ability to distinguish between divine and counterfeit inspiration. I think that's a very special gift. You're able to discern whether it's actually biblical or not. You, know, you can discern which spirit is at the source of that. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. That's a study in and of itself. That's different languages. And it's dealt with by Paul extensively in, I think, chapter 14. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these, what he just mentioned, all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are, are one body, so also is Christ. So Paul is describing the dividing here of these special weapons or gifts among the people as differing parts of a body. So that we can understand what he, what he means. Because remember he said, I wouldn't have you ignorant, brethren. Remember? <laughs> Each one is a functioning part that when put together makes the body whole. In this case, the body of Jesus. Let's go down to verse 27. He says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church... First, apostles. That word apostles means one sent forth. That's what that, that's what that word means, apostles. One sent forth. Secondarily, prophets. Again, those who speak authoritatively for God. Thirdly, teachers. And those are people who are endowed with that special ability to kind of expand upon, uh, expound upon the Scriptures. Okay. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps. That means, you know, you give assistance to people, right? That's easy for us to understand, isn't it? Helps. Yeah. Governments, that means administrations. There's different types of administrations. And as there's different types of ministries within the body of Christ. Diversities of tongues. Again, speak foreign languages. And then Paul asks the question. He's, he's wanting us to think about this. He says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Well, of course not. When you look at uh, in describing it as a human body, is, every, is everybody an eye? Is everybody a hand or a finger? Is everybody No. He says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Covet earnestly the best gifts. I like that. And so, we see here, these aren't the fruit of the Spirit, are they? These are gifts that the Spirit brings. Okay? So, we see these gifts and these special callings. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing... Working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, apostles, teachers, helps, government. That's what Paul has covered. Now let's compare, let's take a moment here, let's compare this with what Paul says in Ephesians 4. This was a part of our scripture reading for today. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. 
and some pastors and teachers. And by the way, that's two phases of one office. Pastors are to be teachers. And that's what Paul's saying. Pastors and teachers. You know, not, all, not every teacher is a pastor, but all pastors need to be teachers. See? He says, okay, he gave them, and we read this before, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And this is going to go on. God's going to give us these until when? Till we all come into the unity of the faith. This is what he says. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I'll tell you, for both the individual and the church, Likeness to Christ is the goal to be reached. Because He's the perfect man, isn't He? So that's the goal. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. See, we have an enemy, don't we? And God's giving us weapons to combat that enemy so that we won't be tossed around. We won't be going here and there with every wind of doctrine. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of winds of doctrine in the movement today. A lot of fanaticisms. We need to be in deep prayer and have the Holy Spirit poured out upon us people so that we can combat this. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body. We're going to talk about that in a few messages on down in this series. Making, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so, spiritual gifts are to be used to glorify Jesus by edifying and increasing the membership of the body of Christ. That's the whole goal of the church, isn't it? The church was organized for service. That's what the Bible tells us. These are the weapons and training we receive to to have individual victory. Let's not forget, it's also the battle is waged as individuals, isn't it? Not just as a church. Thus, the spiritual gift will also edify us as individuals. So, we will receive individual victory and church victory as we use these weapons to reach others who will become members of the one body of Christ. It's really pretty remarkable, I think. So, we each receive at least one spiritual gift. And and we use it to reach others, and in doing this, we edify ourselves in the church. We increase the membership of the church and perfecting its character that's going to hasten the return of Jesus. It's like a well-oiled machine. Let me share this with you. I need to kind of move along a little bit here. This is from Signs of the Times, September 19, 1900. Prophet says, different gifts are imparted to different ones that we may feel our need of one another. Just imagine if, if we experienced having every single gift that the Holy Spirit can give us. There's that danger there, isn't there? Of us thinking, well, we don't need anything else. We don't need anybody, right? And this is what she's saying. Different gifts are imparted to different ones that we may feel our need of one another. God bestows these gifts and they are to be employed in His service not to glorify the possessor but to uplift the world's Redeemer. That's why they're given. They're to be used for the good of all mankind. doesn't say they're to be used just for Christians or those who believe in Jesus. It says they are to be used for the good of all mankind. That word all includes those who have rejected Christ, doesn't it? God desires His people 
to help one another in the discharge of their various duties and in the faithful accomplishment of the work He has given them to do. That's what I always praise God for. Is He gives us a commission. He tells us what to do and then He empowers us to do it. He provides everything needed to do the work He's asked us to do. We just have to be willing. Um, signs of the Times... September 19th, 1900. I think we have. We included notes with the bulletin. Did you get it? Okay. All right. Gifts are not given. Let's deal here. get my page to go down. Here we go. Huh? Yeah, well, I don't know. My... <laughs> no, let's see. We'll pick this up next week. Um, I like that that she says that the, these gifts aren't given to bring attention to us, the receiver of the gifts, but to bring all attention to the Redeemer of mankind, to, to bring attention to Jesus. Now, Paul speaks of this subject of spiritual gifts in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. And uh, in verse, begin with verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry. Now when he's talking about this, he's talking about like providing for the poor, the, the, the poor, the sick, you know, that kind of, you know, the stranger. He says, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth. And, and that means encouraging people to action. That's what, what when you exhort someone, you're wanting them uh, uh, to act. Or you could be comforting someone who's afflicted. You exhort them too. So he says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth. You know, someone who shares their own goods and, and wealth. Let him do it with simplicity. Always found that interesting. I had to look that up. What does he mean by that? He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Well, that Greek word there actually means with no ulterior or selfish motive. That's what that means, with simplicity. In other words, don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing when you're given you know, gifts and alms. He that ruleth, that's you know, a, a, a position of authority or influence, let them do it with diligence. He that showeth mercy, that's acts of kindness, with cheerfulness. These gifts are all part of the character of God. And that character will be seen in His people. Do you believe that? Is anyone recognizing a spiritual gift that they, they've been given as we've gone through this list? <laughs> some heads nodding, some no, some... <laughs> spiritual gifts and callings are meant to to bring us closer uh, to Christ and thus each other in the work of saving souls. Here's another quote from Review and Herald, um, July 4th, 1899. The strength of God's people, the strength of God's people lies in their union with Him through His only begotten Son and their union with one another. There are no two leaves of a tree precisely alike. Neither do all minds run in the same direction. But while this is so, there may be unity in diversity. Christ is our root, and all who are grafted into this root will bear the fruit which Christ bore. They will reveal the fragrance of His character in the talent of speech, in the cultivation of hospitality, of kindness, of Christian courtesy and heavenly politeness, that's interesting, isn't it? Not just politeness, 
heavenly politeness. He has a purpose in placing us where we must learn to live as individuals. We are not all fitted to do the same kind of work, but each man's work is designed by God to help make up his plan. I really like that. And as I said before, everyone who accepts Jesus and is baptized receives at least one spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. And you see, that gives the the saint direction. It gives them a purpose, a, a vested interest in the work. It gives them affirmation, right? And dependence, as she said, dependence upon the other members of the body. So I don't want you to think that if you haven't recognized your gift, I don't want you to think that you've been left out of the gift giving by God. As a member, you're placed into service exactly where the Holy Spirit wants you. And that's it. that is, though, of course, if you're willing for God, uh, God's will to be done. For God doesn't force you to serve Him, does He? Every Christian, everyone who takes the name of Christ has a work to do for the Master. Everyone has his or her post of duty in this spiritual war. And the Lord would have us use our spiritual weapons and use our talents to fight the good fight of faith so that souls can be won for eternity. Now speaking of talents, not only do we get gifts, but we have personal talents that are to be used to further the gospel. You know, Jesus spoke a parable about talents, didn't he? In uh, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25 verse 14, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. I wondered about that. I wondered about, okay, what's a talent? That was, uh, if you looked at silver in a talent at that time, it would weigh 687.5 ounces troy. And this, according to the laboring man's daily wage, back then was more than um, 18 years' pay. 18 years'. So these talents, they represent special gifts, see, of the Spirit, together with all the natural endowments that a person has. And so Jesus said, He gave gave these talents, He said, to every man according to his several ability. I like that. You see, because God's not going to lay on you gifts and talents that you're not able to perform. (laughs) That wouldn't be very fair, would it? And so he says, here he is. He gives him these talents and then straightway took his journey. So the the amount that was entrusted to each servant was no more than in the estimation of his master what he could handle wisely. And at the same time, it was sufficient to challenge that person's ingenuity, uh, challenge their skill. It provided him with an opportunity to gain experience. See? So the master exercised discrimination in the amount entrusted to each servant and then demanded faithfulness in the discharge of that responsibility that was involved in handling the the talents that he gave him. Verse 16, Then he that had received the five talents, what did he do? He went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. You know, that was a, uh, considered back then, that was considered the safest means of preserving treasure. Did you know that? They'd go out and they'd dig a big hole and they'd bury it and they'd have a little map that marked it. And I mean, who, who randomly is going to be digging around, <laughs> you know, to try to find treasure? So they considered that at that time real safe. Verse 19, After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that hath received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. 
His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. He entered thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Again, well done. Good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now I want you to understand here that the master's approval was not proportionate to the amount of profit in each case, but rather to the faithfulness that was displayed. That's why he said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Had nothing to do with how much money they made him. He found that they were faithful in the tasks that he gave them. In fact, they increased it. So they had to do what? They had to manifest sound judgment. They followed right principles. So there was a reason for him to believe that, hey, they'll do the same when I entrust them with other things. So you see, friends, the reward for faithful service is to be is actually an increased opportunity to serve. We aren't given the gift or talent to invest in treasures of earth that rot away with the hope that you know, we're going to ch- climb up that church hierarchy. That's why I'm doing it. Be looked upon as great in the kingdom of God. I'm earning my way there. That's not what this parable is about. That actually is the spirit of Antichrist, not Jesus. This parable is about using the gifts and talents God has given each of us to serve others. And thus increasing our faith and being found faithful. Verse 24, what happened to this other guy? Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid the talent in the earth. Lo, there there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I could have received mine own with usury. In other words, the least you could have done was put it in the bank, and I could have got interest off of it. You didn't even do that. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But for him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. You see, talents are bestowed that they may be put to use. And if they're not used, it's only natural that they'll be removed, right? Use it or lose it. Have you ever heard that expression? But if you think think of it conversely, to make the most of limited opportunities often results in increasing greater opportunities. From Christ's Objects Lessons, page 353. Talents used are talents multiplied, not addition. Notice that. Talents used are talents multiplied. Success is not the result of chance or of destiny. It is the outworking of God's own providence. The reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and persevering effort. The Lord desires us to use every gift we have. And if we do this, we shall have greater gifts to use. He does not supernaturally endow us with the qualifications we lack. But while we use that which we have, He will work with us to increase and strengthen every faculty. By every wholehearted, earnest sacrifice for the Master's service, our powers will increase. While we yield ourselves as instruments for the Holy Spirit's working, the grace of God works in us to deny old inclinations, to overcome powerful propensities, and to form new habits. As we cherish and obey the promptings of the Spirit, our hearts are enlarged to receive more and more of His power and to do more and better work. Dormant energies are aroused and palsied faculties receive new life. So if we use it, it multiplies. 
He doesn't add to, he multiplies. Remember, the old statement I've said before, we work on addition, God works on multiplication. <laughs> now look at verse 30, about this, this poor fellow here. He says in, in verse 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, what can we say about this guy? The unprofitable servant. He'd been derelict in his duty, hadn't he? And and get this, that was a fact that he freely admitted. His failure was deliberate. It was premeditated. And so he must bear the responsibility for that failure. And I'll tell you, friends, in the final day of judgment, the great judge will class those who have drifted along, you know, Dodging opportunities, shirking responsibilities. He's going to judge them with evildoers. That's what Jesus is saying here. And they will gnash their teeth because of the missed opportunities to be among the redeemed. So let us purpose right now that we'll not be an unprofitable servant. Amen? But use the gifts and talents we have to serve the Lord. Now sometimes... The difficulty comes in determining what your particular post of duty is within the body of Christ. There are many gifts that are given by the Spirit, and He determines who is to receive what gift. That's what we read. And again, the gifts are given for what? Perfecting the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And as we just read, though the weapons are given, they are many times not used. That's an unprofitable servant. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.12, he said, even, even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. He wants you to build up the church. And I want to make it clear that a member will not receive a gift that does not spiritually fulfill them or edify them and the church. God's not going to put you in a post of duty that you're not crafted for. Because it would harm your faith. That would bring resentment. It would actually hinder the work. So it's going to be something that's tailored for you. And that's what I like about God as well. He knows us intimately. Now sometimes we may not think so. But as it develops over time, we may get to a point where, haven't you ever got to where, I really don't like this, and you know, and as those of us who are older now, <laughs> we look back and say, I recognize why I went through that. God was preparing me for such and such. Gospel Workers, page 483. God has different ways of working. And he has different workmen to whom he entrusts varied gifts. One worker may be a ready speaker. Another a ready writer. Another may have the gift of sincere, earnest, fervent prayer. Another the gift of singing. Another may have special power to explain the word of God with clearness. And each gift is to become a power for God because he works with the laborer. To one God gives the word of wisdom. To another knowledge. To another faith. But all are to work under the same head. The diversity of gifts leads to a diversity of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So one thing I hope we understand is that it's the Holy Spirit that determines who receives what gift. Not us as individuals. Not even us as a church. I mean, I may say that I want to be an apostle, for example. But if I can't go out and raise a church and raise another church then it becomes uh, maybe obvious that I don't have that gift. doesn't mean I'll never get the gift. But I don't have that gift right then, do I? And the church can only recognize or discern what gift an individual may have. The church doesn't bestow the gift. Now, sometimes we do what we can within the church because it needs to be done. (laughs) Right? But it may not be because of our gift or talent or lack of it. It just needs done, so we do it, right? Even in this case, we'll gain an experience, though, won't we? 
So please don't mis- misunderstand me and think that you cannot do anything for Jesus till you know what your gift or talent is. And I do know that by knowing your gifts or talents, you will then be able to better determine your post of duty within the body of Christ. And the church will recognize that as well. So you'll continue to be trained by the Holy Spirit on how to use your gift if you choose to use it. Honing your abilities to work for the Master and as you grow, He's going to multiply those gifts for His glory. If you do not use your spiritual gift, you will lose it. And eventually what's going to happen, you're going to grieve away the Holy Spirit because He's the one who gives us the gift. Jesus called that the unpardonable sin. So how then do we know what our spiritual gifts are? If you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're going to discern the Spirit. You're going to be led by the Spirit. In fact, most times you're already using the gift. You may not recognize it, but you're usually God already has you using it. You know? You're doing what He's called you to do. It just may be that you or the church, they don't, don't see it yet. But we must be very careful also that we do not choose the gift that we think best fits us. That can be dangerous as well. You know, like you're shopping. <laughs> you can't choose your spiritual gift. Paul said it's good to covet the spiritual gifts, not in a prideful way, but in a way to glorify God. But we must learn to listen to what the Spirit says and not be so willing to trust our heart. Remember what the Bible says about the heart? Yeah, Jeremiah 17.9. Heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we can't trust our heart. See. Let's see if I can get this wrapped up here. Now sometimes we learn, and we can learn, by the process of elimination. We may think we have a particular gift, the church may believe so, but upon application it's found that, well, it isn't so. <laughs> you know. And it does happen. That happens. So we must learn from it and move forward. The bottom line is for our hearts to be right with God first. Isn't that true? Then everything's going to fall into place. Uh, let me share this with you. My Life Today, page 110. To everyone who constantly yields his will to the will of the infinite, to be led and taught of God, there is promised an ever-increasing development of spiritual things. God fixes no limit to the advancement of those who are filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Those who make God their efficiency realize their own weakness, and the Lord supplies them with His wisdom. As day by day they depend upon God, carrying out His will with humility and wholeheartedness and strictest integrity, they increase in knowledge and ability. By willing obedience, they show reverence and honor to God and are honored by Him. And that's something to think of, that we will be honored one day by God. Actually, we can be honored by God while we're here. God honored Daniel, didn't he? God honored Joseph. So if we use our spiritual weapons, we'll win the battle and bring honor to our Creator. Let me share this with you. Reflecting Christ, page 244. The Church of Christ is organized for service. Its watchword is ministry. Its members are soldiers to be trained for conflict under the captain of their salvation. Christian ministers, physicians, teachers have a broader work than many have recognized. They are not only to minister to the people, but to teach them to minister. They should not only give instruction and write principles, but educate their hearers to impart these principles. Truth that is not lived, that is not imparted, loses its life-giving power, its healing virtue. Its blessing can be retained only as it is shared. I like that. I used to say, my job, my job is to educate and train you to take my job. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's, that's the goal. Now, I'm not saying is to take that you're all to become pastors. What I'm saying is you're to be educated and trained to do service. See? And I'll close up with this one. Review and Herald, March 26, 1889. Those who are willing to be faithful learners in the school of Christ 
willing to put to the stretch every God-given power that they may seek for truth as for hid treasure, will not only have light themselves, but will be able to impart light to those around them. When Christ abides in the heart, we are able to impart to others the light and peace that have been imparted to us. Every day we have the precious privilege of connecting ourselves with Christ, who has set before us an open door. All heaven is at our command. Do you realize that? Really? All heaven is at our command. If we are obedient children of God, we may draw daily supplies of grace. Whatever temptations, trials, or persecutions may come upon us, we we need not be discouraged. Neither man nor Satan can close the door which Christ has opened for us. So I want to encourage you, friends. I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus and the study of His Word to prepare you for what is ahead. Because ultimately, the goal for each one of us is to meet Jesus face to face, isn't it? come into contact face to face with our Redeemer. That's something I look forward to. And I hope that you do as well. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we again thank you so much for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come together and and, uh, look at uh, your counsel in the New Testament about spiritual gifts. We pray, Lord, that you will give us discernment. We ask that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes as to what gift you have for us and where you want us placed in the body of Christ so that we may do an efficient, effective, and profitable work. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus who lived a life of righteousness as our example and died a death that we deserve. And we claim his blood. And until we can come together again and worship thee in spirit and truth, please keep us safe in your hand. We humbly ask in Jesus' name.